0: Podcasts.
1: A diversion podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This is the goat Serena.
0: I just knew I was going to win that year, and I can't explain it. I knew before I got there. I told myself I was going to win. It was my time, and I just was. I just felt it.
2: Do you remember that match? Because I sure do. I. I mean. Serena came up with so much power, so much force, and Hingis kind of knew how to handle power. But on that day, she was trying to handle all that power and all that pressure. A lot of people can mm. handle power, right? But you add pressure to power, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you got 20,000 people in the stands <laughs> cheering for the 17-year-old to come good, you know? You got Venus watching it with that black hood around her face intently. I mean, to think that Serena at 17 was going to be the first Williams to win a major. I mean, all of that stuff contributed to how amazing that moment was.
1: Welcome to The Goat, Season 2, Serena. I'm Chanda Rubin. Former world number six, Grand Slam semifinalist, and doubles champion, alongside my co host, Zena Garrison, a former Wimbledon finalist, world number four, and Olympic gold medalist. In this podcast, part of Diversion's GOAT series, Zena and I and our guests will celebrate the career and life of Serena Williams. We'll trace her path as she evolved from an outlier in the tennis establishment into the all-time Grand Slam singles champion and, ultimately, a cultural icon. In this episode, Winning Big, we'll explore how and why Serena, the 23-time Grand Slam singles winner, became the GOAT a process that went into high gear when Serena won her first major title. That voice you just heard, talking about power and pressure? That belongs to my longtime colleague and commentary, Mary Carrillo. She, along with Hall of Famer John McEnroe and Bill McAtee, called that historic 1999 U.S. Open final for CBS. They knew, and now the world did too, what we were getting in Serena Williams. Champions in any sport come in all different sizes, shapes, and colors. Some pan out as great players, others burn out for any number of reasons and never fulfill their potential. We long to know what qualities, physical, mental, and emotional go into becoming great and what a great player needs to do to stay great to take it to that mythical next level where people like Serena live. One thing about the very best in almost any sport, well, two things. One, they love what they're doing and that fire never goes out. Two, they almost all make their first big statement at a young age. Serena was extremely well-prepared to respond when history beckoned. From the day Serena Williams first swung a racket, her father Richard filled her with confidence and made her believe that dominating tennis was not a wild dream, it was her birthright. That helps explain why Serena, despite being just 17 years old, somehow knew her time had arrived at that 1999 US Open. The tournament was loaded five of the women Serena defeated in her seven matches were or would be Grand Slam singles champions led by the top seed and runner-up Martina Hingis. Carrillo who would be on hand for so many of Serena's highlight moments watched in awe.
2: She had a couple of tough matches going in right I mean I know Kim Fleischer's was only 16 but she was already real good you know and then she plays her idol Monica Seles in the quarters and that was an unbelievable match because Serena had made it very clear that Monica Seles was her was her idol That's growing right. up. Remember that? Yes. I mean, she loved how Monica played. Loved it. And and she and, and Monica played well and it went it went the distance but Serena was just too tough. Then Serena plays Lindsay Davenport. Davenport knew how to win the US Open. And that was an incredible match. And, she just, and now you're thinking, all right, this kid is, she's got it. But, and then she plays in the final against, against Hingis. And man, oh man, game, time championship. Hingis.
1: Players who have been in the GOAT conversation will tell you that the only thing that may be harder than winning your first major title is defending it the following year. When you win a major, it changes your world in unpredictable ways. Suddenly, the attention lavished on you is off the charts. Distractions pop up. Now you have a huge target on your back. Your rivals become extra motivated. Your own confidence is put to a stress test. You realize that even on days when you don't have your best stuff, you find a way. You win. As Monica Sellis, another great champion whose career briefly intersected with Serena's, told Zena and me.
2: You were thrown into this at a very early age. So you kind of like, okay, sink or, or survive. And to do it at the highest level that she has been able to do it and, and truly figure it out so much on her own, maybe as a youngster with the help of her parents, but I think later on, a lot was by herself. Uh, it's, to me, truly just speaks so much about her character.
1: Serena was accustomed to attention and the pressure it creates well before she won her first major. But still, she was just 17. Richard had always insisted that his daughters be well-rounded. So Serena explored interest and experienced things common and not so common to her age. The next two years of Serena's life were an exhilarating period of celebrity but also an emotionally turbulent period that threatened her focus on tennis. By the end of 2000, Borisine Price was living away from Richard and in the process of getting a divorce. One thing though, remained constant, the involvement of both parents with their children's lives. In 2001, Serena, Venus and Richard were embroiled in a painful, Racially Charged Controversy at the Big Indian Wells Tournament, an event we'll look at more closely in another episode. On top of all that, Serena experienced heartbreak for the first time in her life shortly before her 20th birthday in 2001. She was jilted without explanation by her boyfriend, NFL star LeVar Arrington. By the end of the year, some wondered Was 1999 a fluke? Would Serena ever win big again? Serena provided the answer in an eight-month span between June of 2002 and February of 2003. That was the time it took for her to complete the first Serena Slam, which left her in the company of just four other women in tennis history, all of them one-time GOAT candidates. It was next-level stuff. But in her own mind, Serena dubbed that accomplishment the so-and-so slam because she was powered by vengeful feelings toward an ex-boyfriend whose name she wouldn't even write. The takeaway? Winning big isn't just about serves and forehands or talent, desire, or even discipline. It's about the ability to turn experiences, bad as well as good ones, into motivational fuel. For more on this and other topics, let's bring in our first and very special guest. So I'm excited to talk to Billie Jean King, who, and give me a minute, Billie, because I want to make sure our listeners know um, just how influential everything you've done. You are a Grand Slam champion, double digits in singles, doubles, and mixed You are one of the original nine women who started, were founders of the WTA Tour, created opportunities for professional women tennis players. Um, Yes, yes, uh, don't interrupt. (laughs) You are also an advocate for Title IX and gender equality. You have really spent your life advocating for equality across all levels, and you continue to do so now. You are... A speaker and author and all of these amazing things. But today we are happy you're joining us because we're going to talk about Serena a bit. So welcome, Billy.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Great to, to hear your voice, Chanda. And also I know uh, Z's there. Zena. Sorry, Z. Uh, it's okay.
0: This is really laid back, Billy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is great. But anyway, I look forward to uh, always speaking with you guys. You're great. So I want to get your opinion do you remember the first time you heard about Serena, Serena and Venus at the time? They were sort of hand in hand. But do you remember the first time you heard about her, first time you maybe saw her, and what were your impressions early on? The first time I saw uh, Serena was April of
3: 1988, when she was seven years old. Mm. Richard, Daddy and Mommy, Richard and Orisine, brought both... Venus and Serena, to a world team tennis, Domino's pizza, free clinic. We did clinics <laughs> all over the country. And people said, you got to see these two kids. And so we had them go out and hit. And they were adorable. I was even taller at that time. I think than Serena. <laughs> Not Venus, but I was taller, I think. And she was seven. I think I am barely a little taller than she was. But she was so... You could tell already they were going to be champions if they stayed in it, if they loved it, all the you know, obvious things that you wonder about. Um, But they got in line and they, you know, um, Serena hit volleys and Oracine was always next to the line asking questions. And and I gave her some thoughts because she and Richard were teaching them at the time. And um, you just knew they were going to be special. I remember saying to myself internally, wow. So uh, when I I saw uh,
1: Serena. Billie Jean and her longtime friend and doubles partner, Rosie Casals, and we'll be hearing from Rosie in a later episode, too, they soon had the chance to experience the talents of the girls firsthand. King and Casals played Venus and Serena in an exhibition doubles match during a tournament on Hilton Head Island. They had
3: Rosie play with Venus and I played with Serena. And so you have, you know, Venus by now, I think is, I don't know, she had to be 5'10". I mean, she's, you know, she's 6'2", which been in just... So you got Rosie and, and Venus on the other side. And of course, it looks like you know, Mutt and Jeff, but I'm just laughing so hard. Like, you know, here's a kid who's 12 years old or whatever she was, you know, and then I get Serena though. So I'm thinking, okay, great. And it was always good to reconnect anyway. So after we'd have our set of exhibition tennis, Rosie would always run around the net post. Holy, holy, who do you think's gonna be better? If, if that's what, what was going on between Serena and Venus. I said, well, I can tell you one thing. I know who likes to be on stage better, and that is Serena without any question. How there could you no tell that? that she, what? <laughs> anyway, she was such a performer. She was such a performer already. I, I mean, she loved being on stage at our tennis court, which is our stage. And I said, well, as far as that goes, that's, she's, you know, she's the one that loves being on stage more than Venus, although Venus did love being there because she does her
1: twirl which I really like. Well, Rosie tells the story that they were coming after you two, that they were hitting the ball at you and going for it. <laughs> no
3: respect. No, <laughs> no respect no at respect. all. <laughs> well, Billy, I... No, I, they were, I, I know they're young. They want to show off. They want to show everybody how great they are. It's so adorable.
1: It's amazing how so many of the memories of Serena and even the general comments on her abilities focus on the intangibles, the competitive drive, the fearlessness the intimidation factor, though it's easy to overlook some of the technical or stylistic details that enabled her to win big.
3: The one thing I want to say about Serena is she has the most beautiful serve ever in the history of our sport. And I've heard the men say it, everyone say it. Sampras, everyone, okay? And I always thought Sampras, Sampras I still think had the best second serve ever and you're only as good as your second serve. Only as good as your second serve. (laughs) Serena has the most beautiful technique. I remember when when she was when I first met her, I saw, I think I saw her serve and I told her, don't change a thing. She already had the tempo at a very young age, Wow! but she has the most beautiful technique of any player in the history of wrestling. And that serve, by the way, has gotten her out of more tough situations than anything else. And people say, well, why does she win? I said, the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons is her serve. Mm-hmm. I mean, she'll be done, you know, love 30 or love 40, ace, ace, or near ace.
4: You a know, huge, back it's a huge do,
3: weapon. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And we don't most of us do not have that um blessing to um to do it. So yes. I I mean her serve can keep her in matches
0: even when she's 45 and she still wants to play, but she's got to be right. I literally just got chills because you took me back, and I remember visually when. And I remember you saying to her, Serena, your serve is absolutely beautiful. Don't change anything. Don't change a thing, Don't right? A I thing. mean, that's
1: unusual at such a young age to have it already in place. Usually, the serve continue to develop.
3: So she had that musical rhythm, that rhythm that you look for,
1: and that sense of timing. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Billie Jean King on The GOAT, Serena. The serve is certainly Serena's money shot, but some of her other signature elements in her game are less classic, but still unique. They also helped shape the way the game is played today and is essential to winning big. Rick Macy, who helped shape Venus and Serena's games in the early years, told us how he and Richard more or less threw out the rule book as they developed the girls.
2: Yeah, we did everything. And even when I had her hit an open stance on the backhand, that was 91 and cutting edge, you know, Becker returned with an open stance on the return of surf. And she put the racket down, which I really didn't like, but there was so much disguise and deception and I just said, keep doing it. What everybody thinks a liability I see can be one of the best shots in women's tennis for backhand down the line. And come to find out, even though everybody knows it's going there, you can't read it. Wow. Because she hits that open stance and bang.
1: Bang is right. It turns out that Billie Jean King, along with my co-host, Zena Garrison, were also involved in shaping Serena's game, specifically her versatile backhand in that period just before Serena hit her full competitive stride. In 2000, Zena was an assistant coach to Billie Jean with the U.S. Olympic team in Sydney, Australia.
0: Billy, I tell the story uh, that I remember in 2000, we were in Sydney. And so um, you asked me to stand up there while they were practicing. And Serena hit the ball at me 300 miles an hour. And I looked at you and I said, "Okay, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that ball came so fast. But one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, too, was one of my interesting moments with you and being around the Williams sisters was when, you know, you had the opportunity to tell which is now the GOAT, Serena Williams, that her backhand cross-court was not as good as she thought it was. Well, I did tell her that it was, uh, <laughs> actually, we had a lot going. You were a, a, a newbie
3: assistant coach in Ancona.
1: Ancona, Italy, is the beachside city where Venus and Serena made their Fed Cup debut in 1999. The Fed Cup, recently renamed the Billie Jean King Cup to honor Billie, is second only to World Cup soccer as an international team competition. During the week in Italy, Billy gave Serena a reality check on her backhand. A little over a month later, the short-up stroke would help Serena win her first major. Let's set the stage, Billy. We've got our listeners want to know, want to be clear. Okay, okay. you can tell them. <laughs> anyway, picture Ancona on the Adriatic Sea is truly beautiful and
0: Amazing.
3: Two rookies, they're both rookies, Serena and um, Venus, and then rookie assistant coach here, Zeno Garrison. <laughs> so I said to Zena, Come here, come here, come here, we're going to try something. And Zena's looking at me like with that big smile, like, Okay, what's happening? I said, Watch this. I go up to the women, and I go, Okay, how many times do you think you're going to hit it over the net between the base, the service line and the baseline? Up the middle, it's got to be up the middle, be corners. And Serena's looking at me like, "Well, how many do you want?"
0: <laughs> yes, she did.
3: <laughs> and she was, and I knew, I knew. That's why I wanted to be there. I wanted to witness. I said, "Well, how many do you think you can do?" Oh, we can do whatever you want. I said, "No, no, no. You figure it out." And then I said, "Well, what about if I trade the money I have compared to the money you have already in your young age? If you if you don't do what you say," and she goes, "Oh, no, no." And I knew she wouldn't take the bet. She's, She's like close to the vest with the money. So I knew, I said, this, she's gonna hate this. <laughs> yeah. So she hated it. So anyway, I, finally they come up with, we can do 40 each. I said, oh, 80. Okay, 80 times, no problem. Up the middle, you, you gotta go, you know, between the service line and the baseline. Okay, no problem. So I said, I'll count as you do it. So I start out one, one, two, one, two, three, one, one, two, three, four, one. And finally, they got a little exasperated, and they stopped. They said, well, that might be too steep. So, okay, re, you know, redo your goals, no problem. So, long story short, it took an hour, and they finally got to 20 each. That's what I wanted. <laughs> I really, I just wanted 20 each over the net, or at least 10 each. I said, why don't you just start out with 10 each? Oh, no, no, we can do better than that. I go, why don't you just start there? No, 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 no. I said, that's the kind of discussions we used to have, and it was hilarious.
1: Monica Sellis was also part of that team in Ancona and the team experienced helped solidify her respect and affection for Serena. When a blister on her hand forced Monica to pull out of the final match, Serena was called in to clinch the win for the US.
3: Yeah, I remember Monica when she was in Ancona that year that she got a blister on her hand and Serena actually had to play in her place. And Serena finished the match with a cross-court deep backhand. There you (laughs) go. And she looked at me, and she gave me the fist like, I did it. She hit her heart. You know, and I'm just like, yes. It was great. Last point of Fed Cup against Italy that year was Serena making a beautiful cross-court deep backhand. The one that she said she could hit time after time after time. (laughs) She could by the time we got to the end of the week, but not at the beginning of the week.
1: Zena and I can attest to how valuable those rare weeks of team play can be. They build relationships. They let a player see her game in the different light provided by the team coach. They help a rookie understand what it takes to win, even to win big. Parents and personal coaches are usually left out of the equation, except as spectators. I actually had
3: a long talk with Serena and Venus about being individuals because I felt like they were kind of at the hip with everything and walking around and that type of thing. So I had, I took them separately and talked to each one of them. Now,
1: when was this? During Kona, We got well, a lot of time. During that
3: week. You know why? It's a small town. Uh, there weren't a lot of demands on us from a, from a media point of view, like there usually are. It was our first time that we played, you know, Zena was the assistant. She was new for Z. It was new for uh, Serena and Venus, and I thought this was a good week to give them a little more information than I usually would. But they're really smart, and I knew they just—they just absorbed it very quickly. They're like a sponge, and we had fun. We laughed a lot, but we worked. You know, they really worked hard. They worked really hard, and they took everything in. But Orsine and I have a very good, of course. Um, she used to call me when they played Fed Cup and she'd say, I don't think I'm coming. <laughs> I said, come on, we, I want you to come. She said, I don't need to come. I told them to listen to you, to whatever you tell them. I told them to do it and I don't have to be there. I said, well, I hope you'll at least come for the matches at least or come whatever. And of course, you know, you're always going to be their coach. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I want to support you. And she's, I trust you. You just tell them everything. And I, and I you know. But we, just think about it. We met in 88. Wow. We, have a, we have a long, long time together. And they're still playing. And, <laughs> and they're still playing. But there's so much history intertwined with all of us yeah. with Serena through the years. And all, all these little things, um, oh. you know, they all add up. And it's really the fun stuff behind the scenes that happened that, you, you know, I always take in my heart. And then, of course, playing their heart out on the court, you know, like yeah. Serena playing her heart out. And winning big, and just watching that beautiful serve of hers—oh my god! Well, that this, serve is this. Has been I tell fantastic. every kid to get a loop of that. I tell every kid to get a loop <laughs> of that serve. You can get Sampras and Gonzalez as well if you want, but you need you need you can just do Serena alone. Enough, but she's got the best serve ever in the history. As yes, far as No
1: question, without any question. Billie Jean, Zena, and others can attest: coaching Serena is a pretty heady experience. Kamal Murray, our next guest, is someone who has had the pleasure, or should I say misfortune, to have to coach his players against Serena at the height of her career. Kamal guided Sloane Stephens to her 2017 U.S. Open singles title, another big step for Black players, and has also worked with, among others, Olympic gold medalist Monica Puig. He is also the founder and owner of XS Tennis, the one and only Black-owned tennis facility in the country. Kamal and Serena first met as adults while he was assisting my co-host Zena Garrison in coaching promising youngster Taylor Townsend. He discovered immediately that Serena was all business when it came to winning and a master at winning big. She gave
4: me the firmest handshake. Like, <laughs> Are you trying to intimidate the player through me? Because you just hurt my hand, right? It was like this super professional handshake. Looked me in the eye, shook her head, you know, with her ponytail flying. I'm like, okay. So She's she trying to win tomorrow's okay. match today with this handshake. So that
1: was your takeaway, though. Like just always trying to to be that person and trying to show that she had that belief that Desire, what, what was your takeaway from that?
4: You know, her she has a presence that can be intimidating. And I think that uh, whether it's intentional or it's just her competitive gift, she always used that, right? When she walks through uh, the hallway at Autorash Stadium or walk through the cafeteria, it's her plus seven people. And mm. when you know that you're playing her, You know, you're playing like Mm -hmm. Serena and the machine, not just the person. Like you're playing her personality, right? And so from her clothes to her team, to her staff, you know, you sort of feel that intimidation. And I don't know if that's on purpose, but it's definitely (laughs) there.
0: Knowing Serena is probably a little bit on purpose.
4: Actually, I thought the
0: first time you met her, remember when, um, so Venus actually called and asked me to make some fried chicken. And it was in the Australian Open. And so we had dinner. Do you remember that night?
4: I remember that. You're and she right. wasn't supposed to come, but she came. It was just supposed to be us and Vans. And Serena came and she was standing over that stove like she knew what she was doing. <laughs> I was impressed. She was telling me how,
0: did you season the chicken? Did you do this? I'm the one cooking <laughs> the chicken. Venus called me, not you. What do you remember right. about that night? Because it was very interesting.
4: Well, you know... Um, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people have this uh, on persona that's very big, but then you put them at like a dinner table with other adults and they get very small. Mm. And I think that night um, she remained a big personality, you know, which is which is contributes to why she's probably a champion is because she's big in all settings. You know what I mean? Um, you know, other other. You know, people at the table just kind of like start to get a little bit of star struck and get a little bit quiet, but you know, not her. Mm-hmm. Um, But then also, just you know, that night it showed how much she yearned for that that environment where people who knew her and didn't care who she was, <laughs> right, and wasn't intimidated. It was like, girl, wash these dishes. <laughs> I mean we started washing dishes. Uh, nah, nah, nah. Come on. You, you grab a grab a, a a rag get here too, right? And to their credit, they didn't leave until the dishes were done. No. You know that. I mean? So, and and that's uh-uh. that's really interesting
0: you said that cuz um that brought back memories. You're absolutely right. I mean, she got probably a $250,000 car that was outside waiting for her and she stayed, washed
1: dishes, did whatever it took and just, you
0: know, she was just in it.
1: We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Kamal Murray after this. Those get-togethers with Zena cooking were a prized invitation back in the day. But Kamal, I want to read a passage Serena wrote in her memoir on the line. Serena wrote. I didn't care if you had a killer serve or an aggressive ground game or a vicious drop shot. As a matter of fact, if your forehand was your strength, I'd go to that side all the time to show you I could beat you on your best shots. I would make you change your game to counter mine. I wouldn't overpower you. That was always my basic plan of attack. Now, how Serena is that? You know, she doesn't go away and we see it so often on the court. And you wonder off the court, you know, kind of where that comes from. But on the court, she just stays in there. And when it gets tough, she comes at you even tougher. And having played her, been on the other side of the court, that's what you feel. And if you can't kind of stand up to that, if you can't stand up to that handshake, your hand is going to be hurting. Right. <laughs> so I love I love how you're putting that because it, it just ties so much into what we already know about her, but from a different perspective. Now, you know, I'm, I'm curious because... You've coached against Serena Kamau. You've had a player playing her. 2020 U.S. Open was up a set at a break against Serena uh, in in that match, a big match. How do you coach Serena? What's the goal? How do you beat her? How do you prepare a player to try to beat her?
4: Well, you know, I think at this point in her career, um, you know, it's just father time, right? A lot of players, I feel, go into the match— not believing and when they end up with the lead they end up not being able to finish because they never thought that they'd have a lead mm,
2: yeah. right
4: and so you've got to go into the match at this point expecting to have a chance right and then once you get your chance right like you are up a set in the break don't get shell-shocked with this disbelief number one number two don't expect her to give it to you the rest of the way. You know, some people you get up and you get up a set and a break and they just going to fall. They just going to mm-hmm. lay down. Right. And then what you see, Serena, she start yelling and screaming and doing all this <laughs> other crazy stuff. Start, you know, ponytails start flying and, you know, she like start yelling at the ground. You think she yelling at you and then you like look all like, oh, Lord. Right. And so that just shows that she doesn't get small, even mm-hmm. on her way to defeat she is trying to sort of impose her, you know, sort of like presence on you. Like if her game is not working, she's gonna just try to impose her presence. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in the Naomi Osaka match, Mm -hmm. where her tennis wasn't working, right? Whatever strategy or whatever the game plan wasn't working. And so she started using the crowd, using the umpire, using this. I mean, you know, you start to sort of like use everything. And, you know, I always tell players in order to win a tennis match, It ain't just about hitting balls. You got to use everything. Use the crowd. Use the umpire. Use your timeouts. Use your bathroom breaks, right? And I saw somebody that was willing to do whatever it took to win a tennis match. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that's where she was the greatest, right? And, um, you know, but I I think that tactically, I won't give it away. (laughs) But I think there are some things (laughs) that you can, at this point, begin to beat her. But again at the end of the day you got to be able to execute it even when you think okay i'm good now yeah. right uh so you got to believe from the start right because right now i mean we've seen the results and it's you know it just sort of is what it is at this stage you will have a chance right to win it's just do you believe and not like bluff right like when you go to sleep at night do you believe you're gonna win not like oh i'ma hope i'ma win and
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> the media.
4: it's got to be real you got to be real yeah like, you know what I mean? I, I believe I could beat her. And if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm clear on what I got to do and I'm going to go out and I'm going to take it to her. Not like, I feel like a lot of players that beat her, if you look at the handshakes, they're very apologetic.
0: Oh, wow, them. that's interesting.
4: And that's sad, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I remember, Gina when you played Chris Everett, right? And okay. like you got to go there
0: record. and I was crying. Oh, really? Come on? <laughs> we can go on there?
4: <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't apologetic, though. And I see a lot of people apologizing, you know, maybe not verbally, but like their demeanors, like apologetic, they took out to GOAT. And so that's what I mean about not believing.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting because, you know, I played Serena a couple of times and this was when she was getting to number one and just dominating that year, that summer, 2002. And I played her earlier in Wimbledon, lost to her pretty routine match, but I played well. (laughs) And I was like, what? I, I mean, I have no chance. Like, how does this happen? Uh, I ended up getting a chance to play her again in Los Angeles. And my coach at the time, Benny Sims, I'm going to talk from a coach's perspective. You're not giving it all away. I'm going to give it a little bit away. Right. My, my coach at that time, Benny Sims, he showed me the stats from the Wimbledon match and said, look, you know, she's not necessarily serving you off the court on average. You know, she's you're closer to her than you think. Make some adjustments on return, position, you know, know her tendencies, because I think that's a big thing. You know, you got to try to use whatever you can, you know, and as good a serve as she has, if you can't read it, you're going to be behind in the count. But we we talked about those little things. And then the one thing he said you have to do is match her intensity. And that always stuck with me. And that's to your point. You have got to go in believing, number one, that you can go toe to toe. You don't have to necessarily say, I'm going to win this match at the first point. But you got to believe when it's at hand, you have what it takes. And you got to be able to go toe-to-toe and match her intensity. And I remember in that match, she was winning in the third set. And I was like, oh, I'm probably going to lose, but I'm going to stay in there. You know, I'm going to stay in there. Got to three sets. I mean, hey, why not? And I remember in that third set, I got it back even. And then she starts grunting louder. You know, how I mean, that's Serena. You know, she's putting it all out there. She's using everything. And it's incredible. You learn so much from playing her from that perspective. But she starts grunting. I never grunted. I started grunting, though. She would grunt, eh, I would grunt. You were matching eh, her And intensity. I was like, I just got to stay with her. Exactly. Yeah. I have to do everything I can to stay with her, to believe I can win. If she wins a point, I can win the next one. And go toe-to-toe. I ended up winning that match in the third set tie break. But it was incredible how much I learned, even just having faced her from that perspective, that standpoint.
0: Well, and I and I just got to say this real quick, Kamal. And then, as we had a, a conversation once with Serena, and then you asked, Benny asked Serena
1: to hit with the her. The next morning, I didn't you. have anybody to warm up. That was a quarterfinal. I was playing my semifinal match. She stuck around to hit with me. And, I mean, that to me was uh, respect all the way around because very few players would have done that, especially after losing a tough match. Now, granted, you know, she won a lot that year. So Remember she was she like she said okay. why she hit with you? But, yeah. Yeah. What, what. She said she, because Benny asked. <laughs> yeah, basically. Benny. Yeah. She's like, I couldn't turn Benny down. <laughs> but it, it's amazing when you look at the qualities of a champion and a champion like her. And it's just, you consistently hear people talk about it. It's the same things you see over and over. And it's part of what makes them so great. And love hearing your perspective on it, because I got some of that same thing, too. <laughs> So what do you tell a player who at least isn't going to fold up and lose the match at the very sight of Serena? She seems to know how to win big. Her weapons are awesome. What can you do?
4: Tactically, you know, a tiger doesn't change its stripes, mm-hmm. right? After Serena playing on tour for 20 years, on the do side, she loved that T-shirt,
1: mm-hmm.
4: right? Uh, on the ass side... She love that ace wide when she's under pressure. I thought you were not going to be telling her weaknesses. (laughs) I don't know, but but I'm just saying from a competitive standpoint, standpoint, the only way to beat her is to take some risks. Mm. And you see a lot of, like, the way to beat her is to control her serve and sort of make her uh, take away her spots, right? And a lot of players aren't okay with being aced. Right, mm. so instead of just cutting off one side and giving her the other side, they're not able to sit there and watch that ace at one all two all, just to potentially have four all mm-hmm. in a position to make her think and take away where she wants to go. So they try to like play the middle and like control the whole box as opposed to saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna give you that. It's one all two all, but at four all, that ain't where you want to go. Mm. At one yeah. all two all, you gonna go there, but at <laughs> four all." That ain't really where you want to go. Yeah. Well, well I'm going to stand right here yeah. and let you know I'm right here. And I think not being willing to lose some points mm. and trying to win every point also shoots a lot of players in the foot.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I want to ask, ask you this because I'm always curious like, when you guys coaches and you get together and you're having your beer afterwards or whatever, do you guys talk about that? Like, you know, is my player able to intimidate like I go out there? I mean, do you guys really get into it as you're having a beer you know after the matches?
4: Oh a hundred percent I mean you know most tennis latches matches are lost, not won, right, and I think you know the the few times like Taylor and sloan we <laughs> I've had opportunity to coach against Serena, those matches were lost, they weren't necessarily won by Serena per se, but I you know those those matches were sort of lost by the younger player. And, you know, you look back and you say, Hey, if we, we if we stay committed to doing one, two, and three the whole time and not for a set and a half, right. Or not for three quarters of the first set. And then Hannah went away from it. Uh, then I think, you know, we had a chance to win. So I think from a, from a coach's standpoint, I know a lot of coaches who after matches against Serena sit in the bar and like, <laughs> Man, that was a career win, not only for the player, <laughs> but also for the coach. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you feel like, damn, if we had just this, 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 and you're able to identify six three two, zero, 30, 40. you'd have been up 3-0 and the match is probably over at that point. You're actually able to pinpoint the small window in which you had a chance to win. And because you didn't step up and take it, she took it back. You know what yeah. I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that's what great champions do. They'll let you take it. But if you don't take it that one time, mm-hmm. they we going to get you two, three more chances to like step up and take it. I think coaches sit in the lobby and like, damn, that was a career win for both of us.
1: If all the coaches who lived through what Kamal just described, that bar where they commiserate wouldn't have an empty stool or table. One thing, though, that gets easily lost when we talk about how intimidating Serena can be is her basic passion for the game. This is a woman who loves to play tennis, the secret sauce in winning big. She has won big in doubles as well as singles. She's shined on the Olympic stage. This is a woman who already had 23 major singles titles when she decided to play mixed doubles at Wimbledon in 2019 with Andy Murray. She just thought it would be fun. Winning big is the dream of every athlete. This episode made it clear that winning isn't just an action, it's a full-time job and an attitude. You may not hit great heights without a certain amount of talent, but talent alone will never get you to those heights. Serena's serve, the shot that transformed the women's game, is an enormous asset. Her powerful forehand and that groundbreaking open stance backhand produce unreturnable shots from every area of the court. But the key to her status as the GOAT is her consistency of effort, her passion for competition. She experiences periods of exhaustion and injury, but her passion for competition never dims. She finds ways to turn her life experiences into fuel she has made winning a way of life and it shows in the way she walks the way she talks the way she shakes hands and the way others see her in our next episode Zina and I along with some special guests will look at Serena as an activist we'll assess the transformational impact she has had on areas like the racial makeup of tennis gender equality social justice, and even fashion. The Goat Serena was written by Pete Boda. This season is hosted by Zena Garrison and Chanda Rubin. Produced and directed by Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Our consulting producer is Andrew Kalb. Production assistance from Anita Okoye and our social media consultant is Stephen Tompkins. Original music by Andy Marvel. Our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA and Susan Canavan.
0: Podcasts.